Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. My name is Suzanne Spradley, and I'm here with my colleague, Chase Cannon. We are both attorneys at NFP, and we are here to tell you about the most recent events in healthcare reform, unpack it a bit. So we'll throw in some compliance, a little bit of history, and we hope that you enjoy it. Today, we're going to talk about the events of last week, which was specifically last Friday, March 24th, when the House canceled their vote on the American Health Care Act, uh, which was the Republican proposal for repeal and replacement of the ACA. So, Chase, let's start with that. Give us a, re- a quick recap of what happened last week. Yeah, so it was a very exciting week last week. Things were moving very fast. But quickly, to take a step back, you gave a great overview on our last podcast about the process that the AHCA, or that re- repeal replacement bill, would have to go through to be introduced, debated, and voted on in the House. And so we saw that all play out last week. Early, uh, the week the, earlier in the week, the bill was coming out of the two House committees. It was getting ready for debate on the House floor, and it was debated on the House floor. Uh, but ever since its introduction, there's been some dissenters, some that weren't very happy with the bill, um, both inside Congress and also industry groups that were speaking up on their concerns. Uh, But there was this one group, particularly within the House, called the Freedom Caucus uh, that was opposed to the bill from the start. And um, which is which is uh, um, importantly about 40 um, House members. So enough to to affect the outcome of the vote. That's exactly right. Enough to to make a big difference. Um, So there the Freedom Caucus, just to give a little bit of background, they're this conservative group within the House. It's headed by Mark Meadows. He's a Republican, obviously, from from North Carolina. Uh, But they were not interested in passing a bill that didn't go a little bit further in actually repealing the ACA. So they wanted to go a step further, uh, get rid of ACA's prohibition on lifetime and annual limits, for example. And they also had particular disdain for the ACA's mandates for small group and individual plans relating to essential health benefits packages. And so their concern uh, was, I guess, twofold. One, that the a, a mandate to cover certain benefits impacts costs and drives up costs theoretically. Um, and the other part is this just general uh, disdain towards the federal government dictating what should be in a health insurance plan. Uh, the Freedom Caucus is very much more interested in uh, market rules and, and not federal government mandates. Um, so one example we heard about when we're talking about these essential health benefits is this idea that men should not have to pay for maternity services under the plan since they do not have a need for maternity services. Which is a little bit of a hot-button issue, I would say, for females. But yes. we I, move on. Exactly. We, we have to set aside our sort of personal opinions on these things, the, the debate that's out there. Uh, but this is one example of why the Freedom Caucus would not support a bill that didn't go a little bit further and get rid of some of these uh, federally-driven mandates. So that was going on. The Freedom Caucus is sort of the main opposer here within the House. Um, Negotiations going back and forth, trying to get people on board as Republican leadership added more to the bill to help the Freedom Caucus. They were starting to lose support from other moderate Republicans. Um, So we see this back and forth. President Trump calls for a vote uh, midweek and put out sort of an ultimatum for House Republicans to make up their minds. So the vote was originally scheduled for last Thursday. That got delayed. Negotiations through the night. Then Friday, we had this vote set for 3.30, I believe, in the afternoon. Um, And shortly before that, 
um, they pulled the bill and said, we're, we're going to cancel this vote altogether. So both Trump and uh, Ryan, Representative Ryan, cited the lack of support for the bill. They decided to pull this. Uh, most people listening, Suzanne, probably had other things to do on a Friday afternoon. Not me, maybe not you. We were pretty nerdy. I was sitting in front of the TV on the edge of my seat, um, really excited about what was going on. This is like a real-life soap opera, as exciting right. as any show I binge watch. Um, it's had ultimatums, dissenters, closed-door meetings. It had this uh, rumor that Ryan was being picked up by a car and rushed to the White House to inform the president that they didn't have the votes, and then suddenly this announcement that they finally canceled the vote. So, yeah, pretty exciting day in the world of health reform and compliance. But So, uh, yeah, walk us through what their explanation was, both, um, you know, Paul Ryan and President Trump, after they pulled the vote. Right. So both of them kind of had a meet the press moment here. Repres Representative Ryan, he went first, held a press conference. He said that they were very close, just came up a little bit short with respect to votes and support. He did express a lot of disappointment. Um but they had tried their best. They just couldn't quite get it done. Uh, he also made the statement that the ACA is the law of the land for the foreseeable future. Um, so there was that. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that means. But President Trump went next and stated a similar sentiment on the lack of support uh, and votes. He went a little bit further and blamed the Democrats for the failure. He said that the ACA would be the law, but that it would ultimately explode or implode so that was last week. And then again, we have something else that happens this week. That's right. So President Trump's um, idea behind explosion here was that the ACA is unsustainable. It can't last. And when we're talking unsustainable, we're generally talking about the non-group market. Um, we're saying that it's unsustainable um, for individuals in the exchanges and through non-group coverage. Once it explodes or fails... Trump says he foresees an opportunity to perhaps work together with both sides of the aisle to come up with a truly great bill. And so um, that was their response. Both stated that health care reform, the debate was dead for now, and it was time to move on to other agenda items, including tax reform. Both left open the door that perhaps they would revisit this, but as you just alluded to, short news cycle, short shelf life for political stories. Last week is so last year. So you've been hearing this week, the narrative's changed. Um, we're hearing about a repeal and replace plan B. We're hearing that discussions are going on behind the scenes to try and revive the discussion. Um, you're seeing a little bit of finger pointing within Congress. You had mentioned some dissenters from the Freedom Caucus. Right. Yes. I've been hearing some from the, some from of our colleagues in D.C. that there really is a lot of pressure on the Freedom Caucus, and you're starting to see some actually um, pull out from that party or that caucus. And so we may see some of that change the outcome. Right. So I think what we're seeing is a lot of political finagling to try and revive the debate. And some when we see start seeing public finger pointing, that's pressure, trying to get people to do different things. And so um, there's different approaches. We're going to talk a little bit more about those approaches. But some Republicans think they should go back and do a full repeal legislation like they did a few years ago under the Obama administration, a full repeal of the ACA, and then reintroduce the debate as a brand new, starting with uh, basic building blocks and building up, hopefully pulling in Democratic support. 
while other Republicans believe that this budget reconciliation process, that is the best opportunity to get something passed and the window's closing on that, so they need to work quickly and get uh, negotiating and get discussions going again on the health health reform. So I know that our clients, which, you know, the employers are sitting back and watching all of this happening in D.C. and needing to make plans for themselves and wanting to know what to do. What does this mean now that the bill was pulled? We don't know if it will be revived. So what advice would you provide to them? Yeah, so um, the whole situation is unclear. I mean, it's very difficult to guess at what's going to happen, but we've come up with a few different scenarios. Um, first first scenario, the Republicans, they could surprise us and quickly revise, revive a new version based on the AHCA, but with changes that maybe appease the Freedom Caucus. Maybe there's some of this pressure coming on the Freedom Caucus to get them going. Um, this seems unlikely because they've had so much time to already have done this, um, including the last few really intense weeks where negotiations were going on. Uh, but if we've learned anything from the first 100 days of a Trump presidency and news these days, surprises pop up every day. So that's definitely a possibility. Under another scenario, uh, the Republicans don't get anything done. The ACA remains the law for the foreseeable future, sort of following what Ryan or Trump initially said. Um, the question in that scenario then becomes whether Trump and his administration would enforce the ACA. True, because we saw certainly Obama decide to take, President Obama take uh, different stances and not enforcing laws that were on the books. That's right. We saw delays in certain parts of the ACA. The non-discrimination rules is the, probably the biggest example where let's just pump this down the road a little ways. We won't enforce it. Uh, the Cadillac tax, we saw that as well. So um, on the one hand, you could see the administration choosing to enforce the ACA. Uh, that plays into the idea that Trump was presenting there to let the ACA die or explode or implode, however you want to put it. Um, if the ACA is truly destined for failure, then allowing it to continue as it's been outlined by the Obama administration, that's really the blueprint to follow. And that seems a little risky to me for, for President Trump to say, just sit in the back burner and say, let's just let it implode during the term of his administration when he has the ability to actually make some changes. So let's go to the next scenario. Then. Right. Yeah. And, and also the idea of um, playing a part in that. Right. And what, what happens if it succeeds? What happens if it actually doesn't die? True. Now you have Trump almost endorsing the bill that he has always said he wants to get rid of. True, because you had the CPO report um, that scored the AHCA say that it felt like the non-group market would be stable under the current system, and Standard & Poor came out and said they thought the 2017 spike in premiums would go back in 2018. So implosion certainly is no guarantee. Right. So if that were the case, though, and the Trump administration decided to continue enforcement, that would mean employers would need to you know, comply without question to all of the ACA. On the other hand, if the administration chose not to enforce the ACA, instead they, they choose to follow President Trump's Inauguration Day executive order, uh, that instructed federal agencies to take steps to waive, defer, grant exemptions from, or delay ACA provisions that would impose a financial burden. So that would mean no, no enforcement on the employer and individual mandates, so no penalties there, probably getting rid of some of the taxes and fees if there's a, those are not enforced. Employer reporting might be simplified or streamlined. You'd see this relaxed version of the ACA 
It's still the law, but the enforcement and guidance, it's scaled back. Um, that would be still our, our employers would still need to worry about the law. It's still the law on the books, but maybe a little bit less pressure because the penalties wouldn't be there. You would see, I think, the carriers push back on that as well, because if you don't have the um, enforcement of the individual mandate, but yet you had all of the the uh, in, the insurance mandates still in place with the pre-existing conditions and so forth, you know, that's going to create some issues of adverse selection for the carriers. So a challenge is that way as right. well. Yep. The carrier is a whole other party in this uh, in the equation. So let's talk a little bit about rewriting regulations, and this is kind of a little bit of our history thrown in here, or at least a, a little bit of our lesson learning. The agencies do have the ability to rewrite regulations. They do have this authority to enforce or not enforce. Uh, but when we're talking about rewriting or getting rid of a regulation that's on the book, there are rules on how to do that, and they, are, they do take time. So there's a multi-step process when it comes to implementing new regulations. So if the administration were to take this view that we're going to sort of get rid of what's there and introduce a newer, more relaxed version of uh, implementation and, and effectiveness, um, that's going to take time. We've lived through this the last seven years under the ACA. So I think most of us that have been involved, employers included, have felt what this is like. Basically, over the last seven years, we've watched the IRS, HHS, the DOL put out proposed rules and then have to allow for a certain amount of time for comments on those rules before they can actually finalize it. There's a lot of back and forth between the agencies themselves. So each of those steps takes time. Um, so that's a mini legislative and administrative law lesson um, it's also a step further just thinking about it. We sometimes get frustrated by how long some of this takes, uh, but we have to remember that the rulemaking process, the legislative process, that's all designed by the Constitution to be multi-stepped and multi-party involved. That way, it's hard for one individual to just step into power and making whole, you know, make these wholesale changes. There's protections, there's checks and balances, time for input from the various parties and the different branches of government so that one branch isn't sort of usurping all the power and, and becoming a dictatorship a little bit. Well, that's a great point, Chase, because I know that even Tom Price came out recently and said as long as the regulations stay as they are, he believes they have to enforce them. So they can't just leave the regs as they are and do nothing. They have to actually go through that process and make some amendments to the regulations, which is time-consuming. So now let's get back to um, the employers and, and uh, get back to our scenarios. Yeah, so I think it could be where we're in a holding pattern on ACA compliance. I know that's a frustrating answer for us. It's a frustrating answer for employers, but we know the ACA is still the law. We have this administration that may or may not enforce penalties for noncompliance. Our guidance in that situation is always going to be to continue to follow the law and the rules as they are written. Don't count on the government not enforcing a penalty or rule. Just comply. That way, if it comes up, you have the peace of mind that you've complied. Um, that includes all these different rules that we've been preaching to employers and our clients, measuring employees, uh, tracking hours, ensuring affordability, completing 1095Cs, all of those and other ACA requirements. These are still the law. 
I will say the one caveat is I know that our lobbyists in D.C. will seek, if they if they do anticipate just a non-enforcement policy, that they will try to get that in writing from the IRS or HHS, whomever the regulations pertain to. So at least um, comply until we have some written guidance. Yeah, something um, formal that we could really rely on. Yeah. That's great advice, Chase. Thank you. So what... What are the chances that we'll see uh, this repeal and replace uh, alive again? Yeah, let's flip, basically flip a coin, and that's our answer. Um, we're all in this wait-and-see mode. That's become sort of the new norm. Um, eventually, I think it'll all be resolved. It's just going to take time. We'll either see the Republicans pull together on something in the near future, and we'll move forward with a new Republican replacement plan, or we'll see a complete backing away and acceptance that the ACA is the future. So one thing to remember here, all this that we're talking about, um, and even this is all taking place on the House side. So even if the House settles on a piece of legislation, they can get the support they need through there. We still have to get that through the Senate. So this is what we've been seeing. This is literally only half the battle. So it's anyone's guess at this point. Um, I'm guessing that we'll probably see something introduced in mid-April and the next few weeks to sort of get the discussions back on track. Okay, we should but have a knows? we should have a bet on this. Yeah, the over under for in the next few weeks. So, but either way, we're not going to stop talking about it and discussing these things. That's what we do. Thank you, Chase. That was informative, and I do hope the employers take heed with the advice that Chase has given today. But uh, that's it for now. And as we say in compliance, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Thank you very Thanks. much for joining us.